Hey, Cornerstone, it's Pastor Justin. Hope you are all doing well. I'm currently standing on the preaching stage in the sanctuary. It's cold and empty and dark. And usually I'm fine with this during the week. You know, I'll come in to pray or I'll come in to sit and quiet a little bit. But this time it just feels weird. And I believe that the church is what the Bible says it is, that it's the people of Christ, that it's not a place or an event. And I believe that and I preach that. But man, missing last Sunday and not going to be together this Sunday and not knowing when we're going to get together next for a larger gathering, uh, it's really playing with my mind in a way that I didn't expect. So I'm not going to ignore that tension that I have inside about the significance of our corporate gathering, but I also am trying to view this time of cultural upheaval as an opportunity. And I would encourage you to do the same. The people of God are no less the people of God. When our routines and patterns are interrupted, our essential nature in Christ still exists. We are still called to set our eyes on God. We are still called to love others and stir each other up. We are still called to enter into the Sabbath of the Savior. Holly Wagner emailed the office last week in response to one of the communications that went out. And she was reflecting on some of the things over the past few weeks at Cornerstone and how they were kind of being woven together uh, during this time of social distancing. One of the things that she recalled was that even though Paul the Apostle was in prison under house arrest, he was still able to make an impact even though he wasn't able to be physically present. His letter writing, his communication to others and his prayers for the church all in the power and grace of the Spirit of God, had great influence and were fruitful, even if that influence and fruitfulness wasn't seen in its entirety at the time. So Cornerstone, even if we are bound and restricted in some physical sense, the Word of God is not bound and your words are not bound. Use them in prayer and encouragement, speaking the truth in love. Ron and Laura will be taking the next few minutes to lead our hearts and minds in worship. I encourage you to enter in. The psalmist prays to God saying, satisfy us with your steadfast love, O God. Satisfy us that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And that is my prayer for you today, Cornerstone, whenever you're listening, whatever circumstance you're in, Be satisfied in God. May God satisfy you with his love. Hey guys, it's Ron. Uh, I'm going to be reading today uh, from Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. Once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. Try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what such people do secretly. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For everything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So Cornerstone, let us step confidently into the light that Christ is calling us into. Walking as a redeemed and free people, living in him fully in whatever context we find ourselves in. The way that we worship, commune, protect, and love one another all must come from a place that is not rooted in fear or anxiety, but is grounded in Christ. 
It is through walking in that dominion of grace that we may discern wisdom from our Father in the ways we ought to live in the midst of all circumstances. Let all who take refuge in him rejoice. Let us sing with everything we have. Let us remember who we are and who we are not. Let us be reminded and remind others of the things he has done for us and in us. And let us engage the world as it is in light of this fact. Are you so downcast? Why so disturbed deep within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. He is the light in the darkest hour. Calling all cowards to his side He is the light In the skeleton valley Rise up and rally to his side He is the light Cornerstone. It's really my privilege to be here and to be able to share with you. It's a little bit strange because I'm sitting in the nursery looking at three walls, but um, yeah, let's see what, um, what the Lord has. I feel like I have something on my heart for you. The last two weeks have taken us all on a journey that I don't believe any one of us in our wildest imagination could have predicted. In this age of modern medicine, we never dreamed that a virus would bring our entire global economy to its knees, that it would keep whole nations tethered to their homes, close educational centers, ban international travel, shut down entire sports leagues, 
and that toilet paper could so rapidly become a precious commodity. In spite of these seismic happenings, Paul's admonition to prayer has not changed. And we're going to look at that from Colossians chapter 4. I'm going to open with a word of prayer. Thank you, God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for um, each person who um, pushes the play button and listens to this word today. And we just invite your Holy Spirit to come and to lead this time and to speak through um, the words that I say. And we just invite you to um, speak to each of our hearts. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. From Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So if we just take a moment to review, Paul wrote this letter to the Colossians while he was in prison, probably in Rome. Colossae is what is now Turkey. So it's in Turkey. Um, it's close to Philippi. It's close to Ephesus. It's close to um, Thessalonica. And the church in Colossae was believed to be established during Paul's th third missionary journey, which was when he ministered for three years in Ephesus. It appears that Paul may not have personally planted the church there, but instead a Colossian named Epaphras traveled to Ephesus, responded to Paul's gospel message, then returned to share the good news in Colossae. It's not confirmed that Paul ever visited that fellowship, but obviously considers them one of his churches. In verse two, we're giving three adjectives to describe practical points for what prayer looks like. Steadfast, watchful, and thankful. All of which I believe are quite relevant to us in this season. Paul also asked then for his own needs, which I think we can all agree were significant. But his, um, his initial one was to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving. And, and the NIV says to devote yourself to prayer. What does it mean to devote yourself to something? To be devoted, according to Merriam-Webster, is to give over or direct time, money, effort, etc., to a cause or an enterprise or an activity. What kind of things are we devoted to? Think about that for a second. What are you devoted to? Maybe we're devoted to our spouse. I hope we are. Our kids, our grandkids. Some, some of us are devoted to sports. Or maybe we devote our life to something that is of value, an area of study or music. We are definitely devoted to the way of life and the freedoms that we know and love. We feel confused and anxious when our way of life is disrupted. The second area is to remain watchful or wakeful appears to be the more accurate translation. That literally means not asleep or sluggish, to be alert, to be aware of what is going on around us. What does it mean to be a watchman or woman on the wall? 
Now more than ever, we want to remain vigilant and to be aware of what's going on around us. We all face the uncertainty of wondering if and when life will return to what we know and love. As followers of Jesus, we want to be those who understand from a spiritual perspective the times that we live in. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what the Father is doing during this time, and we need to get our instructions from Him as to what we are to be doing. Watchful, wakeful, devoted. These are things that are describing the ways that we want to be involved in prayer. The third one is to be thankful or to continue on with thanksgiving. That's what Paul said, to continue on with thanksgiving. We need to be people who remember what God has done for us in the past. When things get tough, it's good to go back and look at God's faithfulness in our lives. We can count, write it down, journal it. God has been faithful here, and God has been faithful here, and God has been faithful here. And thank you. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for the things that you have done. Thankfulness needs to be cultivated. Gratefulness does not necessarily come naturally. Like a garden, we have to continue to prune away the dead wood. First of all, we're grateful for who he is. If someone thanks me for what I'm, I've done, it's nice. But if someone thanks me for who I am, it takes on a completely new meaning. It's hard to complain when we begin to thank God. I don't even think we can do this, both of them together. I don't believe that we need to thank God for things that are going wrong or for bad situations, but I do believe that we are to acknowledge His presence in those difficult situations and be thankful for Him and for the grace He will give us to walk through them. We often default to blame, to a blame God position, where we forget that we live in a fallen world. I believe that people of God walk through the same difficulties that people in our world do. We are not exempt to the brokenness around us. The difference is that we do it with Jesus. Sometimes God miraculously intervenes. Yes, we should pray and we should believe for that. But if God in his infinite wisdom does not intervene in human events, we demonstrate to our world what it looks like to walk through searing pain and deep loss with Jesus. I remember Matt Hershey once saying that whoever said that the will of God would be safe. In C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, the ruler of Narnia, is a lion and not a man as she had assumed that he was. She responds to Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she asks, if he is safe. Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king. When we feel that God is not safe, we usually default to questioning his goodness. God's will for Jesus was not exactly safe. In this season of Lent that we are in, I would like to visit Jesus' time with the Father in Gethsemane as recorded for us in Luke 22, 39-46 together. 
And he, speaking of Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Jesus lived a life devoted to the Father. We often find the disciples searching for him when he had taken off to pray. As a child, his father left him in Jerusalem by accident, and he was, of course, in his father's house. When it came to lay down his life, it says in Luke 9.51 that Jesus resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem. This represents a choice that Jesus had to make that what was going to happen, knowing that what was going to happen would separate him from the Father. In Jerusalem, he would face his destiny, and in Jerusalem, he would redeem our lives. And he came and went, as was his custom. This was a place known to Jesus and his disciples. They've been there before. It was his custom to be there. It seemed that they may have often come here for prayer. In Mark's account, it says that he went to Gethsemane, which would have been about halfway up the Mount of Olives coming from Jerusalem. And there was an olive grove or a garden there named Gethsemane, in, which in Hebrew actually means an olive press. Sometimes I wonder what kind of foundational lessons in prayer did the disciples learn at that place? But this time was not to be like the other times at the Mount of Olives. Jesus had been telling them what was going to happen to him and asked the disciples to watch. There's that word again, wakefulness, alertness, and pray that they not fall into temptation. Strange that they were to pray for themselves that they would not fall into temptation. I would have thought that Jesus might ask for prayer for himself as he is setting his face toward the nightmare that is ahead for him. The disciples are depressed. It says that they were sleeping because of sorrow. Everything they had built their lives on these past few years was slipping away, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. They were powerless. Complete lack of control over their situation. Sure, they would try, Peter with a sword, but that was not the plan. Remember when Jesus was in the wilderness, he could have at any time called on a legion of angels and Father God would have immediately sent them. Jesus had only to say the word. Jesus had already separated himself from the incredible union of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit when he embraced his humanity. This would be the climax of his ultimate separation from the Father. Unbearable black darkness with every evil and wicked act or even thought of the universe carried by him without his precious father.
deep darkness, excruciating separation, alone. Yes, if it's possible, let this cup be taken from me, but I submit my will to yours. Jesus is resolute. Although he wrestles with God and dreads what's ahead of him, he knows what he will do. He will lay down his own will, and he will put his will under the lordship of his Father's will. The intense prayer in Gethsemane sustained Jesus through the ordeal ahead. Time spent with the Father through the night where he could pour out the deep terror that he carried in his spirit gave him the strength to face the betrayal of the morning. Where will we find courage, the resolve, the inner fortitude to look adversity in the face and stay the course that our Father has sent for us? The requirement of discipleship is to pick up our cross and follow. Jesus learned this obedience through the things that he suffered, but his devotion to the Father and time spent with the Father was what fired Jesus up to to continue on toward the Father's purpose for his life. If we look at our current situation, I think there's some some things we can ask ourselves, like what scriptures can we pray into our current situation? We want to be intentional in stepping forward in faith. Psalm 91 has some great prayers very relevant to our lives today. But maybe we do not feel that we have the faith to believe God that, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you or no plague come near your tent. And if evil things do happen, does that mean we don't have faith? Or maybe we don't have enough faith. I believe that a deadly lie that the enemy has perpetrated is if he just had a little more faith, this would not have happened. Remember who we're dealing with, that our enemy is the accuser of the brethren. At every opportunity, he will seek to accuse us in an attempt to somehow erode our faith. Sometimes it is because of our faith that things happen. In Hebrews 11, there are examples of men and women of God who lived by faith and who died in faith. And that's where I believe we need to park. In a fallen and broken world, I live by faith, and when I die, It will not be because of lack of faith, but it will be in faith, continuing to hold on to the promises of God. Paul had a paradigm shift in his life after his dramatic encounter with Jesus. So much so that although he was in prison, his primary request was to pray for an open door to share the gospel, that he might make that message message clear. He admonished the church in Colossae to continue on in prayer to keep going or to be steadfast in a spirit of watchfulness and being thankful. Paul is giving them a strategic plan for how to grow their prayer life and how to be able to sustain the calling that God has for them. To be enabled to walk through dark times, to set their face resolutely with an assurance of purpose and direction from the Father. Jesus prayed earnestly steadfastly, with great drops of blood dripping from his head as he determined to set his face toward the task that he most dreaded. He knew full well that his best earthly companions could not pray him through it and that they would desert him at the time that he needed them most. Cornerstone, 
Let us be people of God who carry the life of God into our families and our communities. Steadfast, watchful, and thankful. From Colossians chapter 2, a little bit further down the passage, there's a scripture in verses 6 and 7. I'm going to read this from the message. And I believe this is a word for us at Cornerstone. So Cornerstone, my counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You've received Jesus Christ, the master. Now live in him. You're deeply rooted in him. You're well constructed upon him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. It is actually out, but anyway. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. This is who we are, Cornerstone. We have received Christ Jesus. We are rooted in him. We are well constructed upon him. We do know our way around the faith. We have experienced excellent teaching. We do engage the word of God. It is indeed time for us to put what we have been taught into practice. God has prepared us to be his people in the midst of chaos and crisis. He may deliver us or he may empower us to walk through it with God's grace and his perspective. Either way, we set our face resolutely toward the purposes of God. Through our lives, the world gets a glimpse of what the kingdom of God looks like, and who knows but what they could even experience a taste of our wonderful Jesus. So, Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. And God, thank you that we are a community that I believe that you have prepared for this time and this space in history, God. And I pray that as Cornerstone, we would rise up and we would take the challenge that you have given us, that we would be the people of God in the midst of a world that desperately needs to see your face right now. So Father, I pray that we would get over our own, um, I don't know, difficulties or insecurities, God, in this whole situation. And they're real. They're definitely real. But God, that we would look beyond that into your face, that we would be people who ask you, what is it that you want to do? And that we would set our face as Jesus did, as our example did resolutely towards the task that you give us. We commit our way to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly trust in Jesus' name Christ alone, cornerstone Weak made strong in the Savior's love
darkness seems to hide his face I rest on his unchanging grace In every high and stormy gale My anchor holds within Thanks to Ron and Laura for recording stuff for this podcast. It can be really awkward to do so for a virtual audience. They did a great job. And before I close with the benediction, a few simple practices to consider as you're staying home more than usual. First, uh, make sure you stay informed about what's going on, but be careful that you don't become inundated with the news. It can be easy to become overwhelmed with information. And please remember that it's even easier for our kids to be overwhelmed by things that they hear over and over and over again. So keep your eye on that. Second, 
your spiritual health is tied to your mental and physical health. So watch out for overuse of screens and social media, which may seem to be helpful at first, but that can also be detrimental long term. Get outside. Spring is here. Creation is blooming. Look up, look around, take a walk. And for the benediction reading today, I'm going to read the same passage that that Laura read. Um, She read it out of the message. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. It's from Colossians 2. This is Paul writing to the church. And he says, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.